we all love generosity. Generosity or giving or being generous is something that we all love. It's a value that we all have. It's, uh, this was a study done by Barna a handful of years ago and walked through kind of by demographic. And I won't go through line by line, but what you can see if you kind of take away the, the yellow and the red is that whether it was elders, boomers, Gen X, millennials, and apparently Gen Z wasn't important enough, but they don't have any money yet. But all, but all, of, all of those people, far majority, said that being generous is extremely or very important to me. And so if we just think about us, it is a value for probably everyone in this room, I would imagine, to be a generous person. Nobody says, yeah, generosity is kind of stupid. I, I really value greediness and stinginess and uh, materialism. Those are my values. Nobody says that, right? We value generosity. We say it's very important or at least uh, important to me. Um, and it's something that also makes us feel good. This is, I'm just giving you kind of some, some snapshots here. There's tons of studies around this, but many of us believe spending money on ourselves will make us happier than spending money on others, yet the opposite is actually true. In one study, participants were asked to spend $5 on themselves or $5 on someone else, and the group that spent it on other people was measurably happier. Now, again, you know this, right? We love giving gifts to other people. We love being generous to people. It's something that gives us boosts of oxytocin. It's something that we, we like to do. It's something that makes us feel good. And generosity inspires us. When we see other people be generous, we say, wow, that's, that's amazing. I, I want to do that. This is uh, recently, this is from July 8th. Uh, a Reddit user granted one simple wish, and his story triggered a tidal wave of generosity. It says this, last month, a member of the popular website Reddit responded to this question. What is something you've done purely out of the goodness of your heart, but have not told anyone? And through that, his, inspi his answer inspired an online community to step up and donate sneakers, books, toys, electronics to hundreds of children impacted by the foster care system. And this wave of generosity was so large, it crashed one Simple Wishes website. So even when we see others be generous, it sparks something in us that we say, I want to be generous. I want to do that. And it's something that we just aspire to. Even if you're not very generous right now, no one looks at a vision of generosity and says, eh, take it or leave it. It's usually something we go, yes, I, I hope I can step into that. that. The vision of generosity is something we desire, we aspire to. Maybe you think of uh, this verse in Acts. You've probably heard this or the Acts 2 version is similar. But this is even how the early church started. And it says, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. That's a beautiful vision, right? We aspire to that kind of generosity, and there was not a needy person among them. I go, that, that's a beautiful vision. And for as many as were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. We hear those things in the Bible and go, yeah. That's amazing. I, I want that. That's, I want my community to look like that. I want my life to look like that. I want my family to look like that. I want my marriage to look like that. Even from church history, you can take a, a snapshot. This is from the Emperor Julian. This is not, no, I mean, this is a statue because they didn't have pictures back then. He says, why do we not observe, that, and he's kind of criticizing Christians, but he says, why do we not observe that it is there, the Christians' benevolence to strangers, their care for the graves of the dead, and the pretended holiness of their lives that have done most to increase atheism, 
unbelief of the pagan gods. For it is disgraceful that when no Jew ever has to beg and their impious Galileans, Christians, support not only their own poor, but ours as well. All men seek that our people, our men see that our people lack aid from us. He's saying Christians are not just helping out their own people, they're helping out our people and it's kind of a shame to us. So all of that stuff, we go, yeah, that's, man, I wish that would be the criticism that Christians had. They're too generous. Christians are too nice to everybody. I wish that would be the heat that we would get, right? So we see all of those things and we love it, right? Don't, I mean, we love generosity. I know it's not Christmas yet, but when Christmas comes, we start talking about the spirit of giving and the spirit of Christmas, all that kind of stuff. And yet, it's not very true in a lot of our lives. It might be in snippets, but yet, even though we love it, it feels good, it inspires us, we aspire to it. The truth is, and I don't, obviously I don't know everybody, but these are just statistics. The truth is, the total U.S. consumer debt continues to increase on a steady trajectory. We keep buying things that we don't actually have the money to buy. We love generosity, but we actually, in truth, if you look at our bank statements, love things. And we are materialistic as a people. And this study uh, just came out recently, July 27th. Only half of American households donate to charity. Only half of Americans give anything. And those that actually do give, the average is around 2% of their income, which is far short of what the Bible's vision would call us to. So we might love it. There might be moments where we're kind of inspired by it and we feel good about it, and yet... It's not actually true statistically in most people's lives. Um, if you, this, is, this is even uh, from Barna as well. It says the ultimate financial goal for life by generation is, number one, provide for my family. Number two, support the lifestyle I want. So, you know, provide for your family. People would go, yeah, that seems like a good goal. But number two, here's my, one of my main financial goals Above being generous, above serving God with my money, it's to support the lifestyle I want, to meet my obligations and needs, to be content. Those are actually the things that drive us, even more so than generosity. Uh, my nephew, when he was younger, several years ago, uh, my sister-in-law was kind of praying with him and talking with him. And I, this is just kind of a, I pulled this off of her Facebook. This was a quote that she said, but she, his name is Rock. And she says, I asked Rock how I could pray for him tonight. And he asked me to pray that we wouldn't give any more of his toys away. We've been doing lots of organizing and donating lately. I told him instead I would pray for his heart about it. Jesus, please help Rock to have a joyful heart when he, we give our things to others. He interrupted me. Nope, don't do it, Jesus. I don't want that help. I continued, and please help remind Rockstead that he has an abundance of blessings. Again, interrupted, don't remind me. I don't want to remember that, Jesus. I just want to keep all my things forever. <laughs> I love that because I, you know, out of the mouth of babes, right? And that that's, even I can pray for us. God, help our church to be generous. Nope, don't do that, God. Like, there's certain prayers. God, I pray that you would make that person humble. No, Lord, please don't do it. Please don't make me humble. And this is out of the mouth of babes that the truth is oftentimes we don't want to be generous. We might love it. We might aspire to it. It might inspire us. And yet there's something in our hearts that this is true of, that is shown out in the stats. 
it's show, and, and in fact, I didn't show you this stat, but I can't remember exactly what it is, but most people say they give like 10% of their money, I think, is like if you ask people, they say they give, but then when you actually look, it's only down to 2%. So there's something where people, we, we have kind of this aspirational idea of generosity, and yet in the reality, it's not actually true. It's not actually true. And we don't, I know this, we, if you're a Christian especially, we don't want that to be the case. If you're a Christian, you don't want that to be true. You don't want it to be true that, you have, that you're held by the grip of money. No one wants that to be true of them. No one wants it to be true that we're materialistic or stingy or greedy. No one wants that to be the case. We don't want to be held by the power of money. And as we consider Jesus' vision for our community and what it means to be a kingdom community, one thing that must mark us, we could never say that we are a kingdom community if one of the things that doesn't mark us, define us, is generosity. What if that was true? What if in all of our relationships, what if in our community, what if we were marked, defined by our generosity? Without this, we'll never live Jesus' vision that he has for us and never experience the kind of community that he has for us. So the question for today is this. How can we become more joyfully generous? How can we become more joyfully generous, free from the power of money, free from the grip of materialism, and actually live into that thing that, that most of us want, most of us desire? How can we become more joyfully generous? The text that we're going to look at is a, is a thick text. It has a lot of stuff in it. But let's explore together what Jesus wants to call us into. The first question I want us to look at is this. What keeps us from generosity? It could be a lot of things. It could be a lot of different things. And if you, even if you think about your life and you think about either the question, what keeps me from generosity at all, or what keeps me from being more generous, or what keeps me from being marked, distinguished by generosity, what is it that keeps us? Because it's, it's not easy. If it were easy to be generous, then then everybody would be generous. It would, it would just happen. It would be, the stats would be, yeah, most people give 20% of their income. It would, be, it would be easy, but it's not. What is it that keeps us from being generous? Because the Bible talks about this over and over again. Jesus talked about it over and over again to people, and yet, as Jesus taught people, it was easy for them to hear it and reject it. Here's the beginning scene of what we're going to look at that happens. Luke 16, 14 to 31, says this, the Pharisees who were the religious leaders of the day, says the Pharisees who were lovers of money were listening to all these things, and I didn't give you the text before this, but Jesus just got done teaching on money. That's the context of, of what happens here. The Pharisees who were lovers of money were listening to all these things and scoffing at him, which means just say, making fun of, thinking he's stupid, thinking he doesn't know what he's talking about. And he told them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the sight of others, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly admired by people is revolting in God's sight. What is it that keeps us from generosity? This is such an important question because if we look at our life, we have to ask, what is it? What's blocking me? 
What will keep you? What will create a barrier? Even if, if generosity is here and you want to get over there, there's a wall, there's a barrier, there's things that will keep you from having that, living that, experiencing Jesus' kingdom community in this way. There's excuses that will flow from this. What is it? And Jesus says, it's love. Lovers of money. It's not that we hate generosity. I think people love generosity. If you struggle with generosity or being more generous or living out Jesus' vision, it's not because you say, I just hate generosity. I just think it's bah, humbug. It, that's not why. But it's because we love something. We love money. That's the diagnosis that Jesus gives. And think about it. Think about money. Think about all that money can do for you. Like nobody actually loves dollars and coins, Unless you're a collector or something. I have been to like a coin collector shop because I had this penny and I was like, oh, maybe this is worth something. And the guy just laughed at me. But so some people actually love those. But for most of us, it's not the actual dollars and cents. It's everything that money brings to us. And it's different things for different people. You might love the security that money brings to you. To know I've got a lot in savings, I've got a good nest egg, I've got an emergency fund, I've got an emergency fund for the emergency fund in case the emergency fund runs out. I've got, I've got this savings account and this savings account and I'm saved away for this and I've got investments here and I know I'll be safe for my retirement. You might love the security, the stability that money provides for you. Some people just think that's silly and you only live once and, and you love travel and you love doing fun things. Denver has so much stuff to offer. And it all costs money. You want to ski, you want to bike, you want to raft, you want to hike, even to buy a state park pass or a national park pass, or you want to eat or you want to drink or what? I mean, Denver's got all sorts of great stuff, and you might love fun. You might love security or travel or fun, or, or maybe it's the comfort and the luxury that it provides or a home that it provides. There's all sorts of things for different people. A lot of times there's spenders and savers, but both love money, different things that it gives to us. And Jesus says, what will keep what kept the Pharisees from generosity and what will keep us from generosity is that we love money. We love what it gives. And listen, this is so key. It's not just that we love money. It's, you know, maybe I don't know what's going on in your heart right now. But Jesus then makes a second step, and he says, we love money, but it's, it gets worse than that. You guard that. You let that love sit there. You let it not be touched or challenged by justifying yourself. This is what he says. You are the ones who justify yourselves in the sight of others, which means this. We love money, but we excuse it. We say, no, 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 you don't understand. You don't, you don't realize what's going on. We justify that love. We justify our use of money or lack of generosity. We excuse it and justify it with all sorts of different ways. When he says you justify yourselves in the sight of others, you know what that means? Other people look at your use of money and applaud it. It means if other people were to look at how you used your money, they might say you are very financially wise. They might say, you, you use your money on a lot of great things. You really have done well with yourself. The Pharisees loved money, but in the sight of other people, they were justified. 
and they were justifying themselves in the sight of others. Other people would, people might look at the way you save. They might look at how you've bought a home. They might look at investments. They might look at all sorts of, they might look at how you really love life and pursue your hobbies. And they might look at all that stuff and say, justified. And so it's easy actually to hang on to that love of money. We can also do this when, when we justify ourselves in our own eyes by saying, yes, but I do so much for God. That's what the Pharisees as well. I do so much for God. And in fact, God is the one that has blessed me with this money. And so I, this is, I wouldn't be this wealthy. I wouldn't have this money to spend on this and this and this and this and this if God hadn't blessed me with this. So it's easy to justify ourselves, which allows us to guard our love of money. Listen, anytime someone challenges you on money or the Bible speaks into money or whatever's going on in your heart right now, where there might be resistance, that wall, you love money and to step over is the life of generosity that God has for us. Whatever justifications start coming up, that's what Jesus is speaking about. He's speaking about, oh, yes, you in the eyes of others and in the eyes of other people, you know, oh, and God has blessed you. And, oh, I do give, but sometimes we do that, maybe like the Pharisees, to impress other people. Jesus says, here's what keeps us from generosity. It is a love of money that is guarded and protected by justifying ourselves. But God knows the heart. God knows what's actually going on inside. All sorts of people can see all sorts of things and even approve of you and applaud you. But at the end of the day, God knows the heart. God knows what is going on. And listen, sometimes we use that as like an excuse. God knows my heart. But that's a terrifying thing to actually say. God knows the heart. He knows what's going on. He knows the motives under the motives. He knows what's happening. He knows that the Pharisees were not genuinely seeking to listen to God and obey God. That they didn't really want to know what God's heart was and, to, and that they loved God and wanted to live out of that. He knew that. You have to ask yourself, what's true of you? God knows your heart. Is your heart in a place that is genuinely desiring to know God, listen to God, love God, and use your money in accordance with that? And Jesus, this is where it kind of gets a little bit complicated here, but what Jesus then says next to the Pharisees is this. And I'll explain it, and then we'll read it here. But he says, if Jesus is saying, here's, here's the problem. You're justifying yourself before God. You don't really love God. And then he's going to give an example and say, if you did, if your heart was that you really wanted to know God's law and God's will, then you would listen to me, Jesus says. You would listen to me if you really loved God. You're claiming you do. You're claiming that you're justified, that you're fine, that you're okay. But if really you wanted God's heart, you would listen to the words I'm saying, and you wouldn't take parts of God's law and try to lessen it and get off the hook of it. See, the person that wants to obey God says, God, Speak to me, whether it's about money or anything else. Jesus is going to use an example of marriage. Whether it's about money or marriage, speak to me. I want to obey. That's what the person that loves God says. That's what the person with an open heart to God says. The person that's trying to justify themselves says, I actually love this, 
So how can I guard this? How can I water down what God says? How can I keep away from what God says? How can I find kind of loopholes in what God says? So here's what Jesus says next. He says, the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, were until John, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, who announces the arrival of Jesus. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God has been proclaimed, and everyone is urgently invited to enter into it. So Jesus is saying this. All from the beginning, God has spoken in the law and the prophets. Now John has come and, and announced me, and now a new period is here where I'm announcing the kingdom of God. But it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter in the law to drop out. Jesus is saying, I'm not getting rid of the law just because there's a new phase here with the proclaiming of the kingdom. I am fulfilling it, which means all that God has said and promised and done is still true. It's just finding its ultimate expression in me. And then he gives an example where they're trying to basically get off the hook. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. And everyone who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Now, I'm not, this is not a sermon on marriage and divorce and all of that, but this is the biblical ethic on marriage and divorce. But Jesus' point here is, it might seem kind of odd to us, but really is an illustration related to money because he's saying you don't really love God, you're not really listening to what God has to say about money, and you're not really listening to God about anything. Because the Pharisees, they would actually try to find all sorts of loopholes to allow divorce for themselves. There was a whole school of thought that even if the, the wife burned the dinner, that, okay, the divorce is justified. All sorts of stuff that you can read about. And Jesus is saying, you're not really following God's law. You're trying to find loopholes. And let me remind you about God's law. So what keeps us from generosity? Jesus is pointing out here in this part, this. Here's the building blocks. Number one, it's a love of money that we guard and protect by justifying ourselves, which is coming from a heart that doesn't really want to listen to God. Doesn't want to listen to God about money. It doesn't really want to listen to God about anything. It wants to justify itself, find loopholes that it doesn't have to obey. Someone that loved God and someone that um, wanted to listen to God would seek after his heart whether it was about money or marriage or whatever it was. So, what keeps us from generosity? Most of us want generosity, but we struggle. And Jesus is saying this. Whatever diagnosis you've given yourself as you look at your struggles with generosity, Jesus is saying it's not that you don't have a better job. It's not your stage of life, and once you kind of get to this point, it's not uh, that we just kind of forget, oh yeah, I want to be generous, but I just forget. It's not any of those things. Jesus says the core of it is we love money. That's the core. And that is what will keep every one of us from the generosity that God has for us, is a love of money protected by justification. Now, what does generosity look like? What does it look like? Okay, God wants us to live as a kingdom community with generosity. What does that look like? And he's going to tell a parable, a story, that will help us examine our heart, in our life and see what generosity doesn't look like and what it does look like. There was a rich man, so he just kind of goes right into this from that teaching, which is saying, let me, let me give you an illustration. There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen. I don't, 
Purple's not you know, super in fashion for guys these days, but if you were rich back then, it was very expensive to make purple, so it's just saying he is looking as fly as he can look. It's saying he is, he is decked out. He is dressing in purple and fine linen. And I actually read that it said, and the commentators said, the purple would be the outside garments and the fine linen is his undergarments. So he's got great undies and he's got you know, great coats. So you know, that might be some of your ambition. Feasting lavishly every day. That sounds pretty nice. Feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate, so the front of his house. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table. But instead, the dogs would come and lick his sores. And this is not, by the way, like, oh, those nice dogs helping him out. Dogs, if you've ever been in some other foreign countries where there's a lot of stray dogs and wild dogs all over the place, and for Jews, dogs were unclean. So this is not like, oh, so nice. This is, he's just laying there, and even the mangy animals are just kind of licking up his wounds and blood to feast on him. So it's gross. That's my point. Not like cute puppies. That's not what it is. One day, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. So they both die. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Abraham is the father of the nation of Israel that God made his promise with in the Old Testament, Genesis. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember, during your life, You received your good things, just as Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you, so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot. Neither can those from there cross over to us. Father, he said then, I beg you to send him to my father's house, because I have five brothers, to warn them so that they won't also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to tell them, they will repent. But he told him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Now, this is a parable, so we shouldn't look at every single piece of this and say, oh, that's what happens when we die, and it's exactly like this. And that, That's not exactly, Jesus isn't trying to give us a full teaching on the afterlife. It's a parable, and yet there's still things in there that he's trying to illustrate about what generosity looks like as he speaks to the Pharisees and speaks to us. What does generosity look like? Well, first let me just say this, not to live generously. What this story at least teaches us is this. Not to live generously is condemned. Like it's not just kind of an artificial issue. It's not, a, it's not a secondary issue. Not to live generously where this leads for this man is eternal destruction and torment and separation from God forever. That's where it leads. And in the earlier part that we read, it said that Jesus said that what, the way that you are living with your money is repulsive to God. That's a strong word, right? To think not just you don't like, like I don't know how often you use the word repulsive. But there's probably things you don't like. But then there's things that you might say that is repulsive to me. That's a strong word. And God says a lack of generosity, a love of money is repulsive 
to me. And it leads to eternal condemnation because it is a sign, a signal that our hearts don't love God and are not actually in God's family. Though we might claim to be like the Pharisees and like this man who says, Father Abraham, it is an eternal issue with permanent consequences. And I want you to hear this. In love, Jesus is warning these people. I mean, if that's true, if it is such a damnable thing, then in love, Jesus is saying, I am warning you that you can live your life and other people approve of it and you approve of it and you're a religious leader or a part of God's, you believe you're a part of God's family calling out to Father Abraham. You can live that way and yet in fact, I need to warn you, you might be far from God and generosity or our use of money is one of the key signals of that. So what does generosity look like. Here's what he says in this passage. He says, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. You see, th this man says, go back and, and tell my brothers, tell my father so that they change their ways, so that they live generously and don't have this outcome. But Abraham says they don't need some ghost from the dead to show up to them. They don't need someone raising from the dead to show up to them and tell them, hey, you really should be generous. They need to listen to Moses and the prophets. They need to listen to what God has already revealed in his word. The problem isn't that they need some sign. The problem isn't that they need some miracle. The problem isn't that they need that. They need to listen to what's already been given to them. And what Abraham is saying is that over and over again, page after page, I don't know if you've read the Old Testament. For us as Christians, as we hear this, we could say the Old Testament and the New Testament. But page after page after page is filled with God's calling to generosity. If Abraham can make the point that people are eternally condemned for disobeying God when it comes to generosity, it probably doesn't mean that there's like one little line here somewhere that, oh, you should have read that, sucker. It means page after page after page after page. God reveals that he values the poor and the rich, that he calls himself the father of the fatherless. That he says he loves the orphan and the widow and the sojourner, sojourner or the immigrant. Over and over and over again, God says, I am the maker of the poor. The value is equal. Over and over and over again, God gives his command to his people to fight for justice, to right wrongs, to treat fairly. Over and over and over again, the Old Testament is filled, and the New Testament, filled with God's compassion for those that are suffering, for those that are sick, for those that are poor, for those that have been widowed and fatherless and immigrant. Again, all of those kind of categories that God is saying, I feel a compassion to those people. Those are my people. And he calls his people, the church and Israel at the time, into loving and serving and caring and fighting for their rights over and over and over again. It shows God's heart over and over and over again. 
the community, the church, or Israel is called to love those on the inside, those that are God's people, to care, like we saw in Acts, that there should be no needs among God's people. And for those on the outside, to reach out and extend his love to others, that they may know who God is, that they may experience his love. Over and over and over again, there is a call to radical generosity, really to just give tons and tons and tons. Over and over and over again, there is this call that God says, this is my command, that God says, I will bring judgment. It it shouldn't have surprised this man. He should have woke up and gone, whoops, that should have been the first words out of his mouth. Over and over and over again, God says, my judgment comes to those that are not living in this way. I I didn't pull up all the Old Testament scriptures, but plenty of times God even says, listen, you're standing and you're praising me in worship, and yet you're defrauding the poor. Over and over and over again, God lays out his vision, Old Testament and New Testament, of a community where people are experiencing God's love, God's care, God's justice, God's equality of of socioeconomic status, of racists, of of sick and healthy, of all of that saying, these are my people. Over and over and over again, God lays out his vision. God lays out his character as a God that's a God of justice, as a God that's a father, as a God that is compassionate, as a God that sees the needy. God says, this is who I, so there's God's command, there's God's judgment, there's God just saying, this is who I am. I'm a generous God. I'm a father. Over and over and over again, we also see God saying, look what I've done for you. When he speaks to the children of Israel, he says, you were slaves and I saved you. You were in a country that wasn't yours. You were an immigrant and I gave you a home. You were poor. And I gave you the promised land. Oh, so he says, look what I've done for you. The same happens in the New Testament. We read it in the call to worship. And Jesus says, and the New Testament authors say, look what God has done for you. Look who he's been to you. It's not just that he commands us to do things. He says, look at all the generosity I've given to you. So the first thing of what generosity looks like is this. It's listening. That's what this man failed to do. You don't need some crazy sign or miracle or ghost to change your life. He says, listen. Do you see all that God has revealed of who he is and what he wants and what he does? And the second thing of what generosity looks like related to that is we are to listen and then to live. And I think this is so instructive for us that there's these two buts here. And it it talks about the, the condition of the rich man, but here's the condition of Lazarus. There's the condition of what Lazarus longs for, but instead he has mangy dogs licking him. And what that is saying is this, that God intends instead of that but to be negative, instead of the rich man's like this, but Lazarus is like this. Lazarus longs for this, but instead he gets this. What God intends is in that but. The other side of the equation should be, this man met his needs. This man loved him. Lazarus is filled with sores and and sickness, but the rich man used what he had 
to love him and serve him. Lazarus longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, and the rich man came out and fed him. The rich man invited him in to sit at the table. That's what should be in those statements. It's showing this contrast, and instead it should be showing a conduit. It should be showing that the rich man receives what he has from God and uses it then to intersect and serve Lazarus. That is what generosity looks like. Generosity looks like that we become conduits and then create God's vision. God has this beautiful vision of what he desires, and the way that he accomplishes that is by doing something often for us and then from us. God does something for the rich man and then intends for the rich man to have that wealth go from him to others. God enriches us so that we may enrich others. Not just, I've heard it said before, God does not increase our wealth just to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. And I think that is so true. That's how God intends to work. What generosity looks like is listening to God and then living, being a conduit. Listen, you've all heard stories of uh, money going, uh, government aid or even charity uh, funds going to countries and then it doesn't actually go to the people. They just kind of hoard it. And the rich get richer and the fat get fatter. Instead of, the, instead of them actually giving it. They were supposed to be a conduit. The charity gave it to them so that they would distribute it. The government gave the relief funds to them so that they were to distribute it. And none of us read those things and go, those people are savvy. We read that and say, they robbed. That was wrong. What if we're doing the same thing? What if God is filling up our banks? What if God has filled up our lives? Not just so that our standard of living increases, but so that our standard of giving increases. What if all of the blessings you have are not just to be enjoyed by you and to justify yourself by saying, but God gave them to me. Yeah, he gave them to you to give them through you. This is what happens in the story. What generosity looks like is to listen and then to live. It's us listening and then living out his vision. I, is that what's happening in your life? Are you living as a conduit? Are you living generously? Are you seeking to listen to God and then live this out? I think we want that. Is that what's happening? Final thing is this. Where does generosity come from or, or how can we have this kind of generosity because it is difficult where does it come from and we we saw that this man wants it to come from a sign right he wants it to come from this miraculous this guy shows up and from the dead and and then they respond his brothers and his father he believes it comes from a sign and and we probably don't think that you probably don't think, okay, I'll be generous once I get this sign. or once We probably don't think like that, but we often do have a lot of excuses and think once this happens, that's where generosity will come from. Once a promotion happens, that's where generosity will come from. Once my life changes, that's where generosity will come from. And he says that the issue is not more information, not a sign. The issue we looked at, he says, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they'll not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. 
which means generosity comes from a heart that is persuaded by just listening to God. It comes from responsiveness to God. Generosity comes from a heart that wants to respond to God. Again, in all things, which is why Jesus touches on marriage and divorce. And, but it comes from a heart that says, I want to respond to God. That's soft to God. That is sensitive to God. Which means this. If we want change here, if we want, if you want joyful generosity in your life, the source is a heart that wants to. Which is why back at the beginning, Jesus says, God knows your hearts. It has, it's not the circumstantial changes. It is a heart that wants to respond to God. Here's what that looks like. Here, here's what that means. It means coming to God and saying, I'm not trying to justify, justify myself anymore. I confess. See, a heart that wants to respond to God, even in a moment like this, whether you're here or online, a heart that wants to respond to God actually receives a moment like this and says, God, okay, I, I confess there's ways I'm justifying myself. I confess there's ways I'm hanging on or that I love money and asks for a softness to confess, a humility to change and wants that. A heart that wants to respond to God also doesn't just respond, but proactively says, I want to listen to you, God. I want to listen to what you say. We, we try to listen to all sorts of other things on how to use our money, even. What do the experts say about this? What does my real estate agent say about this? What is, you know, all, what, what should I invest or not invest? We, we try to listen to all sorts of other sources about what we should do with our money. But how often do we say, okay, God, show me your will when it comes to my money? See, a heart that wants to respond to God proactively does what Abraham accused him of not doing, which is listening. Or... Back to the start, here's where it comes from. It comes from love. If the problem with the Pharisees was that they were lovers of money, where generosity comes from is being a lover of God. That's very similar to me saying it's a heart that is responding to God or a heart that wants to listen to God or a heart that receives God's correction is a heart that loves God. Do you want to be more generous? Where that comes from is a love of God that says, teach me. I want to listen. I want to repent. I want to obey. I want to follow. I know you're good. I know your ways are right. And how do you get a love of God that would create that responsiveness? That comes from seeing his love for us, which is what Jesus says here that we looked at back in the beginning again. Look what Jesus says his mission is and what he is doing. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God has been proclaimed, and everyone is urgently invited to enter it. You know what this is saying? You want to you be generous? That comes from loving God. You want to love God? Look and see who he is. He is the one that brings good news. Listen, this is the key to being generous. It is to see that we have a God that is generous to us and is not trying to take anything from us but is wanting to give to us. We have a God that is absolutely generous, that says, I'm not trying to, I'm trying to give you a kingdom. That's a generous God. I don't know if you've ever gotten a kingdom as a gift before. 
Jesus says, Here, here's, I am urgently inviting you to enter into the kingdom. I have good news to bring. I want to give you God's kingdom. I want to bring you in to experience in God's kingdom forgiveness. I want to bring you in to experience God's kingdom and give to you my presence, my salvation, my community, my love, my comfort, my one day in the future reversal of every pain you've ever felt. Lazarus lived in pain in this world. And in the kingdom, the future, when the kingdom is fully established, he gets to experience health, comfort, everything he lacked here. Jesus is saying, listen, generosity comes from a heart that's responsive to God or a heart that doesn't love money but rather loves God. And the only thing that produces a love of God is seeing who he is. He's a generous God. He is a God not trying to take anything but wants to give to us his very self and a kingdom. If we have that, then we love. If we have that, then we listen. If we have that, then from fullness, we want to join him in giving and creating that kingdom community. Listen, I, I think we all want to be generous. I think that that's a desire that we have. We, we don't want to be controlled by money. How do we get that? Only as we experience the love of the king and all he did to urge us in. We're going to take communion in just a moment. If you didn't get a little cup, you can grab them in the front. Communion is a time that as Christians, we are remembering the generosity of our God. We're remembering all that he did to give us his kingdom. That his blood was shed and his body was broken to give us his kingdom and all that that entails. Imagine a community marked by this, defined by this. Imagine your life, your marriage, your family, your friendships, not just having this, but defined by this. It being the key characteristic. Because it is the key characteristic of our God. A generous, gracious, giving God. So as we take communion, I want you to pray. And thank God for his generosity to you. Thank God for his giving you the kingdom. Confess where appropriate. Confess and ask God to, to forgive you. Be soft. Ask for a responsive heart. Confess. And then practically, ask for God's help to empower you to obey. Re really simply, here's the application. Change your budget. That's the simple application. Ask God. Listen to him. Respond to him. And together as a community, we can see God's kingdom here and see God's kingdom expand. I'm going to pray for us and then give you some time to pray where you are. Also be in the back. If anyone would like prayer for anything, I'd love to pray for you. If you're online, please join us in prayer as well. Father, I thank you that you are a generous God. You have given us everything. You gave us your son. You gave us yourself. You gave us forgiveness. You are the God that brings good news. You're not a taker. You are a giver. That is who you are. We thank you for that. I pray that as we take communion, we would remember and receive the good news that you've given to us.
And that as we sing who you are, your goodness would become more real to our hearts. And God, I pray, make us a generous people. Make us a kingdom community.